The world needs leaders, especially during times of uncertainty, but not just any leaders. It needs you. Welcome to Woodlawn. We're so glad that you're here. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online today. We're glad to have all of you here. We got all our students here. Yay for the students. Now, I'm, I'm curious, how many of you students have been seeing me at sequence? Well, I noticed you've been avoiding me there. Let's, let's get away. The old preacher's here. We don't want to talk to him. No. We're glad to have the students. They're great. They do a great job. And I wish you could do, could you just come all year? Could you just stay the whole time? That'd be great. You could just visit the other place. How's that sound? So, yeah, because this I'll be going on vacation, so I won't see you, so bye. But come back next year. We'd love to have you. So, um, you know, anyway, we'll move forward. We're going to do a four-week series this month. We're wrapping it up, uh, and this is the last day. And it's talking about follow the leader. We've been following the leader. And so we've been talking about how faithful leaders have influence, right? And that's what I want to talk about today. <clears throat> now, um, the first week we talked about Daniel. And Daniel had integrity. Daniel was willing to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what he needed to hear, not just what he wanted to hear. And that was a great sermon, great message on Daniel not that the sermon was all that great, but the, the material was great, okay? The, what I had to work with, it just kind of preached itself. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, I couldn't preach it, but it came out well, okay? Then the second week, we talked about Nehemiah. And, you know, we know Nehemiah. We know he built the wall. We know he's known for perseverance. But also, we talked about his moral authority because his talk matched up with his walk. Do you remember that? Everybody, when he spoke, people listened because they watched the life that he'd been living for years, and they said, this guy's genuine. He's real. And they paid attention to him. And then last week we talked about David, and we talked about his courage. <laughs> we about David's courage and how he went out to fight the giant, Goliath. And this week we're going to talk about Joseph. Joseph, all through his life, he kept finding himself in a predicament, and it wasn't his fault. It wasn't that this guy did something wrong. He was just a faithful follower of God, and yet bad things happen to good people sometimes, and that's what happened to Joseph. And Joseph was a person who continually just rose above his circumstances. It didn't matter the situation, the circumstances. This guy just focused on pleasing God no matter what. And so it's so powerful in good times and bad he was a man who turned to God. His name was Joseph. He had a coat that was beautiful. The, the problem was that, that his father, Jacob, he had married Joseph's mother, but, but he had several wives. And, and Joseph's mother was his favorite wife. And so Joseph became his favorite son. And so he bought him this beautiful coat of many colors. Now, I want you to stop right there, and I want you to pause and think about that for a minute. And I want you to think about Name brand stuff with me, okay? This morning I talked about where do you go to buy expensive name brand stuff. And one of the guys who really helped me out in the first service said Target. <laughs> I said, you mean Target? Yes, Target. That's where he buys his expensive stuff. But now Louis Vuitton, 
That would be expensive, wouldn't you? And, and sometimes it's so expensive you have to buy a knockoff. At least that's what our daughter does, right? <laughs> Thank God. And so, so but, but there's other things like that. Name some name brands. A little bit louder. Gucci. Gucci. Yeah, Gucci. They mentioned that in the first service. Who else? Michael Kors. Who else? Chanel. Yeah, they mentioned that one. Who? Rolex. 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 Oh, Rolex. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rolex, yeah. What else? Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yves Saint Laurent, yeah. So, anyway, what do you do when you see people wearing this name brand stuff that's really expensive that you can't have? You hate him. That's what you do. <laughs> I, look, at, I can't believe he's got that. On. I can't believe she's wearing that. Let's just ignore him. We'll put our nose up in the air. We won't even look at him. We'll just look the other way, right? And, and that's kind of the way that Joseph's brothers felt toward him because he was the favorite. And it was obvious he was the favorite because he had Louis Vuitton or whatever. You know, that was what he had. And so, now this, this is not the Joseph that we know in the New Testament that's the father of Jesus. Let's don't get those confused. This guy's in the Old Testament. He's in the book of Genesis. He's the son of Jacob. And his predicament, as I've said, is his brothers hate him. They hate him because he's the favorite. And so they see a chance to get rid of him in Genesis, the 37th chapter. And here's what happens. It says, So when the Midianite merchants came by his brothers, pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, and sold him for 20 shekels of silver, to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now what happened was that he had gone to be with his brothers. He had on his coat. They took his coat off of him. They wanted to kill him. And some of the brothers talked them out of it. They said, well, we'll put him in this pit till we decide what to do with him, this cistern. Then these traders come by, and what they do is they end up selling him into slavery. They take money. They sell their own brother into slavery. Then they get blood from an animal. They put it on his coat. They go back and lie to their father and they say, well, he was attacked by an animal, I guess. We couldn't find his body. We found his coat. He must be dead. Isn't that tragic? Isn't that, I mean, you think your brothers and sisters hate you, right? But, but how many of you have had that kind of thing happening, right? So Joseph's father, this guy comes from a dysfunctional family with a capital duh, okay? I mean, dysfunctional. Maybe you've got a dysfunctional family. Maybe you've got a dysfunctional background. You ought to love this story about Joseph. You are family today with this guy, okay? Because years ago, there was this woman who came to my office, and she started talking to me about her family, and she was talking about a dysfunctional family, okay? If I told you the stuff she told me, you would go, yeah, okay? And so I just, in, in passing, not even specifically about her family, I just talked about dysfunction. Sometimes we have dysfunctional situations. Sometimes we have dysfunctional families. Well, I didn't know it, but that lady took offense at what I said. And I mean, for years, I didn't know it. I never knew about it. And then years later, she came back to me and she told me, you know, when you were telling me about my family and you talked about being dysfunctional, she said, I was offended by what you said. And she said, I held it against you for all this time. But she said, I've, I've come to realize in recent years that you were right and that my family is dysfunctional. I just didn't want to own up to it. 
So I came to confess, first of all, and then I came to, to ask you to forgive me and to tell you that, yeah, I, I know it's true. Well, gosh, I didn't mean to do that. I, that wasn't my intention. I was just trying to help her to see some things. And so, you know, a lot of folks have dysfunctional families. They come from that. So please tune into this. Focus in. Maybe not your family, but maybe you've got a friend. You might be able to help them because of this, okay? And yet, despite all that Joseph went through, he was a person who was able to rise above all that. Now listen, this is this to give you a little background, okay? Joseph's father was Jacob, and he was a cheat and a deceiver, dysfunction. His mother, Rachel, was a thief and an idol worshiper. His grandmother, Rebecca, was a deceiver and a manipulator. His grandfather, Laban, was a liar and a deceiver. And of course, his brothers were so jealous of him that they sold him into slavery. Despite all of that, his guy turns out to be a godly man. If Joseph can overcome his background and his obstacles, there's hope for you and me. Wouldn't you say so? So this is a way for us to say, how can I rise above the circumstances and situations? How can I be a godly person? How can I be an example? How can I be a faithful leader that influences other people for God? And there are six things I've listed today. Now, we know his background was something that, that was, should have held him up, but it didn't. And I hope that it will encourage us not to just focus on our past, but to look ahead to our future. You know, God can take bad things and turn them into something good. Okay, the past wasn't that great, but listen, there's a great future out there, and I want to follow that. So the first thing we see about Joseph is that he was purposeful. He was purposeful. If you read the 37th chapter of Genesis, Joseph is described as a dreamer. Now, when I say that he was purposeful and he was a dreamer, it, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, doesn't it? Because when you think about a dreamer, what do you think of? You think about a person who just kind of daydreams through life. They never accomplish anything. They never put anything into action. But, but this is a little bit different because Joseph's dreams were God-given dreams. They were dreams that were planted as seeds inside of him. He recognized that God wanted to do something in his life and through his life for other people. And he just wanted to please God. So this guy's not just this guy that's, you know, dreaming about getting rich or doing something really great or being a hero to everybody. No, it's a God-given dream to accomplish God's purpose in his life. And in his case, it wasn't about achieving greatness. It was more about achieving God's will in his life because God had some great things in store for Joseph. He was going to use Joseph to bless other people. Because Joseph had been born of Jacob's favorite wife, and because <laughs> Joseph was the favorite, he had the beautiful coat. And that's why his brothers hated him and were jealous. So Joseph knew what it meant to live his life in criticism. Maybe you grew up in your family, and you just became this personality, this caricature of, of somebody that you're really not, and that's kind of the way the family labeled you. That's the way the family looked at you. They just looked at you, and, and they just kind of, maybe they laughed at you. Maybe they said, you, you know, you're not, you're not really accomplishing very much. Maybe you've got priorities that are different from theirs, and they don't understand them. And, and, you know, that's hard. It's hard to live in a family where you're criticized, but Joseph did not allow the criticism of other people to kill his God-given 
drinks. He chose to fulfill God's purpose. Instead of becoming bitter and resentful, the Bible says he just rose above these things. He would just shake it off and move forward to accomplish a higher calling and a better purpose in his life. The second thing we see about Joseph is that he was pure. In the 39th chapter of Genesis, we read about Joseph serving Potiphar, who was an officer for the Pharaoh. Now, every time Joseph had something bad happen, God would put him in a situation and, and he would give him favor and he would rise up above where he had been. He would rise up above the situation and he would get into a position of leadership once again because he was just a leader. And so he found favor in Potiphar's sight. And he became the whole overseer of Potiphar's whole house. This guy just started from nothing and worked his way up. And just as things are beginning to go well and just as life is getting a little bit easier, trouble shows up and it's not his fault. Joseph is an attractive person. Potiphar's wife finds him attractive. She notices him. She keeps trying to seduce him. Day after day, she begs Joseph to commit adultery with her, and he just keeps refusing her. One day, he's in the house. He's doing his chores. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Nobody else is in there but Potiphar's wife, and she comes to him and grabs him, and she says, lie with me. Now, what does Joseph do with that? Think about that for a minute. What would you do in that situation? Joseph sit there and say, let's think about that for just a minute. Let's talk about that. Let's entertain that. Is he flattered that she finds him attractive? Listen to what Joseph does. He doesn't flirt. He just flees. He just runs away. In fact, he runs away so quickly that she grabs his coat. He runs out of his coat, and she keeps his coat, and he just runs out of the house. Now she's angry because he's rejected her. So she takes that coat. She uses it as evidence to say that this Hebrew slave came in to attack her, to molest her. She tells Potiphar what he's done. He didn't do anything. Potiphar believes his wife, and he throws Joseph in prison. Now he's gone from this place that was really nice into prison. But Joseph knows, and God knows, that he didn't do anything wrong, that he was pure. And so... He committed no sin. Now he's been falsely accused. He's been humiliated. He's been punished for something he didn't do. And yet, what does he do? He remains pure before God. I remember hearing John Maxwell teach on purity one time. And this is what he said. He said, what we think about is what we are. Now think about that for a minute. What we think about is what we are. You know, every temptation starts in the mind. And the mind is where our actions begin, good and bad. So whatever's in our mind is the thing that's going to come out into our lives. Years ago, I mean years ago, I was a youth minister. I started out as a youth minister in Niceville, Florida. And there was this layman in the church who taught this young adult class. And I would go to his class because at that time, I was qualified. I was a young adult, okay? So I would go to his class, and this is what he would say. He would say, everybody's got two dogs inside of them, a good dog and a bad dog. Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to grow. I could understand that. It made sense to me. And you know what? He was right. And so you and I have a choice, and it's a struggle. And, you know, we're supposed to take every thought captive 
And sometimes we have to turn to God again and again and again for that. And sometimes we fail, and yet God forgives us. But, but that's the whole point. What we think about is what we are. What he's talking about is true. And since that is the case, our purity with God begins in the mind. And if we think about godly things, we'll have godly results, won't we? But if we think otherwise, we'll have other kinds of results. Now, the third thing that we see about Joseph is that he would please God. He was pleasing to God. In the 39th chapter of Genesis, we read how God was pleased with Joseph, how he gave him favor. Now he's in jail, but he gives Joseph favor with the jailer. And he just keeps working his way up now in the jail. He's risen from a slave to the ranks of being in charge of some things at the jail. But there's greater success for him in his future. He's not spoiled by prosperity. If things are good, praise the Lord. If things are bad, praise the Lord. My relationship is with God. I don't care. It doesn't matter. The circumstances don't affect my faith. The circumstances don't affect my faith. He depended on God regardless of his situation. Even when he lost his position and was thrown into prison, his allegiance to God did not waver. He pleased God. He loved other people. And whether he was richly blessed or sorely attacked, he learned the secret to be content in whatever state he was in. No matter what he achieved or what he lost, his primary concern was to please God. Now, the fourth thing we learn about Joseph is that he was providential. He was providential. God had plans for Joseph, and Joseph realized that everything he had was provided by God. Joseph never took that for granted. He was always grateful. He remained obedient to the Father. Circumstances and situations did not influence Joseph because he totally depended on God. But why did Joseph depend on God? Because Joseph knew God. Joseph knew that God was trustworthy. He knew that God was faithful. He said, I've been with God and God's got me out of every circumstance and every situation. He's delivered me time and time again. He'll do it again. I know it. I can trust him. I know God. And I know how he thinks. I know how he acts. I know what he does. <clears throat> in the New Testament, there's a scripture. And it's in Romans 8.28. You've heard it. But it's a powerful verse that we need to think about whenever our situation goes wrong. And it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Joseph knew the secret of a providential God. The fifth thing we see about Joseph is this that he was prophetic. Joseph always told the truth <clears throat> even when it was not popular. You see, Joseph had learned from his father, Jacob, how lying can just make a big mess in your life. And so he didn't follow his example. He was truthful. He had the courage to speak up and tell the truth. He told his father at the age of 17 how his brothers hated him. He had the courage to tell his brothers about the dream that he had that God had given him. Now, 
you would think this guy should have been smarter than that, right? But listen, when you're young and you're naive and God puts something on your heart, you get excited about it. And you think that everybody else is going to celebrate that with you. You know, it, it's later in life that you learn some people, the people who are really the cream of the crop, those people will celebrate with you when you have something good happen to you. But a lot of people will be jealous of you because you have something they don't have and they don't want to hear about it. Early in my ministry, I was fortunate enough to go to serve a brand new church and it was the kind of church that anybody my age in the ministry as a young man, they would have wanted to go and serve. I had a district superintendent that was so wise. He said to me, now listen, you've been put into a position that's enviable. Other people want to have a new church like the one you're serving. So he said, here's what I want you to do. When you see other people, you just wait. And, and when they say, how are you doing? You just say, fine. And then you say, how are you doing? Tell me about you. And you just sit there and listen and let them talk about their life. And you know what? I took his advice. And he was right. You see, as a young person, I was naive enough to think that everybody would celebrate any success that we had. I mean, we were all in the ministry. Certainly, we were serving the Lord together, right? Little emphasis there. <laughs> well, it was. Anyway, but you know what? I learned that not everybody's going to celebrate that. And so you just sometimes have to keep things to yourself. His brothers hated him because he felt like he was special, and he was special. And Joseph had the courage to tell the Pharaoh the truth. A lot of people put in his position, they would have told Pharaoh what he wanted to hear. They would have sucked up to him, right? But Joseph didn't do that. You think about it. The people who have power and authority, what happens in life? Well, most people tell them what they want to hear. Every now and then, they'll find the exception, somebody who'll tell them the truth, and sometimes they'll embrace that. They'll keep that person close to them. They'll say, I like to keep you around because you tell me the truth. I need to hear the truth, and I appreciate that. And so most people put in that position wouldn't act the way Joseph did. Surely Joseph wanted to be liked and accepted. Everybody wants to have friends, right? Surely he didn't enjoy expressing what was unpopular. Yet Joseph the dreamer shared his God-given dreams whether they were popular or not. Now here's Joseph. This guy does not get sucked in to peer pressure. He really, he likes people. He loves the Lord. He wants to help people. But he really doesn't care if people approve of him or not. He's just listening to the single hand clap of God. He's just trying to focus on what God wants and to make sure that he performed well for the Lord. The last thing we learn about Joseph is that he was pivotal. This guy was pivotal. I love this point. His brothers sold him into slavery. That, he could have been out for revenge. He could have made them slaves. He was put in a position of power later on. He could have put them in prison like he was in prison. He could have had them killed. And yet, what did Joseph do? He chose to forgive. He had all the power now. He had all the authority. These people, his own brothers, who had sold him into slavery, he could take it out on them. But what does he say in chapter 45, verse 15? 
And he kissed all of his brothers. And he wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. I want you to picture that scene. This guy doesn't act like the world. This guy doesn't act like the culture. This guy doesn't respond the way that we see the people who are far from God respond. This guy does the right thing. And when the people see it, man, they pay attention. When his brothers see what he did, how he acted, when he had the opportunity, man, he's got their respect, doesn't he? Joseph will be remembered for returning good for evil. Now, you ever go to the eye doctor? You go to the eye doctor, the eye doctor examines your eyes, and he says, you got 20-20 vision, right? And, or whatever you got, right? When, when I was a younger man, I had 20-20 vision. Oh, for those days. But you know what? I've had three eye doctors tell me, because I've moved around, I've gone to different ones, and they'll examine my eyes, and they will say this. Have you ever had surgery on your eyes? I'd say no. And they said, well, you're one of the rare people who really does have one eye that sees up close and can read small print and one eye that sees distance without having to have surgery, okay? And I'm just grateful for that. I, you know, my wife has really poor eyesight and she really struggles. She can't wear contact lenses because her eyes, they're just really a challenge and, and she may be a candidate for surgery at some point. But you know, I, I just had 20-20. I don't have 20-20 now. But I can still read and I can still see distances, you know. I just have to make sure and focus with the right eye to do that, the correct eye to do that. Well, let me, let me share this with you, and I want you to write this down. I want you to consider having 50-20 vision. 50-20 vision. What am I talking about? Genesis 50-20 says what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God took a bad thing and he turned it into something good. I just love that. And so, you know, that's something you and I can strive for. Joseph would change the direction of his family. He would break the chain of events in his past. No longer would they be known by his father's reputation. He would give them a new direction. He would make a difference. He would make the changes necessary for a better and a brighter future. From now on, they would be known for Joseph and his goodness. Joseph chose to be the pivotal person in his family to make a difference for good. I heard Chuck Swindoll tell a story one time about John Edmund. John Edmund is a preacher. His wife is a gifted singer, but now she has to limit her performances to an audience of one. Their 10-year-old son, John Edmund Jr. When he was born, the doctor had too much bourbon. And as a result, this little boy, as a baby, was completely paralyzed. When the doctor realized his inexcusable actions, he ultimately committed suicide. The mother of this little boy can only sleep for two hours at a time, and yet she dedicates her life to this little fellow. Once an award-winning singer with a promising career, the sky was the limit. Now 
all she can do, she can't even leave the humble home that she lives in with her husband and her son. But the amazingly wonderful thing about this woman is that she doesn't spend her days seeking revenge, becoming bitter, thinking about what might have been, crying out at the injustice. Instead, she uses all of her energy and her love for that little boy and her husband. In an otherwise unbearable situation, she stands out as a pivotal person. She's taken an impossible way of life and made it possible because of her love. Her husband says has her, if her faith had not been so strong, she would surely have crumbled years ago. She stands out as a woman of deep spiritual commitment with strength that only God can give. She offers her family a new direction. She is indeed one of God's pivotal people. What about you? What about your life? Maybe you feel like that your background holds you back. Or maybe you just don't feel like you're ever going to amount to much. Maybe your past contributes to your low self-esteem. Or maybe the challenges in your life just seem overwhelming and you don't know where to turn. If some of those things apply to you, I hope you'll remember Joseph. I hope you'll remember that he had every reason in the world to fail. But God had other plans for his life. I hope you'll remember Joseph. I hope you'll be inspired and encouraged by him. Enough that you might have the courage to ask God, Lord, what plans do you have for me? Father, we want to be like Joseph. We really do. We want to be godly people. We want to be influential leaders. We want to do the right thing. And sometimes, Lord, we see little glimpses of victory because you work in our lives, and we celebrate that. But Lord, other times we fail miserably. We don't turn the other cheek. We don't love the people who are ugly to us. We just want to get revenge. Lord, when we fail, help us remember Joseph and how he didn't let circumstances keep him down. Lord, all we have to do is just turn to you and confess our sins. You know them anyway. And you'll pick us up and dust us off and you'll say, it's okay. Try again. And when the enemy comes along and says, you can't be used by God. You're not good enough to do anything. Lord, help us just not to listen to that and shake it off. Help us to listen to the single hand clap of the Father, to just be in tune with you and in touch with you in such a way that, that we just want to do what you want us to do. Your word says that you're always looking to and fro throughout the earth. You're always looking, and you're looking for people who will be faithful to you. Lord, this morning, I pray that your eyes would rest on us. I pray that we would be the ones that you would raise up. I pray that we would 
be victorious over the circumstances, not just for our benefit, but for the influence that we can have on other people. Lord, thank you for blessing us to be a blessing to others. And all God's children said,